Welcome back to Transformative Teaching, a Facet at IU podcast. Really happy to be back here in the studio with Michael Maroney. How are you doing, Michael? I'm doing great. How are you doing, Katie? Fantastic. It is um, like 40-ish degrees outside right now, and I'm not having it. I know. I actually had to wear a coat into work today, and uh, two days ago, it was like shorts. So It was was 95 a week ago. We get four seasons. We get four seasons. They almost start on the day. They just don't come in order sometimes. That's the thing that's worrying me about this winter. So, (laughs) Michael, would you like to introduce our guest? Yeah, yeah. Today, we're speaking with Galen Clavio, who is a member of the FACET class of 2022, an associate professor of communication science and uh, media school at IU Bloomington. Um, And I know you've got a bunch of other roles. Galen, what are some of those other things that you're doing? Gosh, well, I'm also the director of undergraduate studies for the media school. And I also run the sports media program, which has about 260 students in it now, uh, which makes actually the second largest uh, concentration in the media school. I'm also the director of the National Sports Journalism Center. And I think those are the... You're a podcaster in your own right, I I, I podcast a lot. Yes, I've done... You broadcast, like you do broadcast for IU Sports, don't you? Well, no, I I don't do any actual official broadcast, but I do an unofficial podcast about IU football and basketball called Crimson Cast. I have a music podcast called Cosmic America, and I've produced a bunch of other podcasts, including this one, so... (laughs) Oh, yeah, by the way, he's our producer (laughs) as well. (laughs) So um, I I was... uh, you know, as I usually do before these things, I kind of look at uh, people's CVs or teaching philosophies and and, and all of that. And um, one of the things that you you really you started with your teaching philosophy, which I find really interesting, is uh, by the way, talk about jumping right in here. Um, uh, <laughs> I guess that's that's where it is because we've been working together on this series. You, you we don't need to we don't need to beat around the bush. No. All right. So um, I noticed that you're off. Uh, former full-time member of the sports media industry. And so were you in broadcasting? Is that what you were doing? I was, yes. So I attended IU as an undergrad, graduated in 2001, and had literally zero interest or desire in coming back to school at all from that point. I wanted to be a play-by-play broadcaster Mm -hmm. in sports. And so I took a series of jobs that moved me all over the country. And the parts I didn't move to, I saw by bus – Uh, as I was traveling with minor league hockey teams or baseball teams. Uh, So I did that for almost five years. And, um, you know, when I came back, I I had a little break in my career where I was like, you know, this would be a good time maybe to get a master's degree and figure out if this is still the direction that you want to go. And that really set me on this entirely different trajectory. Well, you were really down there in the nitty gritty of of the broadcasting world. I mean, traveling for for ice hockey by bus. Yeah. <laughs> that, that, that's super interesting. I, I imagine that that gives you incredible stories that you can share with your students. Um, and I know that your program, it's, well, you, you described it, 260 students. So it's, it's obviously a, a popular program here. Um, how, how do these stories kind of fit in with what you do as a teacher? Well, you know, it's interesting because the industry has changed a lot since I was in school. I mean, and and it probably, 
I would argue maybe in media more so than any other industry, we've seen just tremendous levels of change, largely because of technology and the way that technology has impacted the day-to-day jobs that exist. What I'm able to do by giving stories of my time is really talk, you know, both about the need for developing professionalism and, you know, being able to do a day in day out grind of covering sports, uh, you know, whether you're a writer, whether you're a broadcaster, uh, but I'm also able to talk about the human element of the career. Uh, you know, one of the things that I really try to emphasize to students, and I think back to my own education as an undergrad on this, you know, we would get people to come in and talk about working in the sports industry or working in the broadcast industry. And it was always, Hey, you know, go into this and you know, you, you won't work a day in your life because you'll, you'll love every aspect of it. And then you get into it and you're like, wow, I'm making $24,000 a year living in Mississippi uh, with no insurance and I'm gone, you know, essentially every weekend because I'm having to work. And it's like, there's a real disconnect there. So I, I try to be brutally honest with my students, but, but not to dissuade them from careers in sports, more to just help them understand what they're getting into and what kind of, not just professional skills that takes, but also what kind of personal skills you have to develop to be able to be in that environment effectively. And you really expanded your repertoire in, in the skills development piece lately. Um, I've personally watched you do that a lot, you know, with boot camps and workshops and and so on and so forth. Can you talk a little bit about kind of, I want to say how broad your reach is in that regard? I'm teaching broadcast interested students to also be producers and good writers. Yeah, it's probably the thing I'm proudest of about my own teaching and, and the program as a whole is we really emphasize in the program and in our courses interdisciplinar interdisciplinality of there's not much of a line today between a writer a broadcaster a social media specialist a production specialist a producer who's really kind of a behind the scenes creative lead and so you know i'll talk to students as they come into the program and i'll say you know what's your passion you know, and they'll say, you know, I want to be a play-by-play broadcaster. Or I want to be a sideline reporter. Or I want to be a feature writer. And I'm like, okay, great. So we want to make sure that you continue to develop that. But we also want to make sure that you know how to do all of the other roles that are out there. Because you really don't know what direction your career is going to take you. Uh, you know, you, you could get three years into your college career, as, as has happened with several of my students, and realize I'm not really cut out to be an on-air personality. But there's there's a production role or there's a social media role that really appeals to me. I feel like in order to be able to effectively communicate that, I have to be able to at least do at a competent level all of those things. So I've had to teach myself over the years how to be an effective presence on social media, how to be a production specialist and do graphics and editing and things like that, how to write a story in a way that could be published. You know, I'm not saying that I could walk out the door today and go be a professional in any of those areas, but I can give enough of an impression and give students a framework to work in that they can develop those skills and then they can kind of use that as a platform to go to their next step. I, I watched you practice TikTok. Yeah, yeah. Weekend. A few weekends ago, we were sitting down. By the way, I spent it's all probably summer. important for us to, yeah. to mention because I talk about you, like, I watched you do this. Yeah. That, 
we are married. That we're married to yes. each other. That's, that's, is, that's is, sort of a thing. It'll sound creepy otherwise. No, <laughs> I watched no, you learn this TikTok. Is what hap- this is what happens with the incoming facet class. <laughs> like the, you have to put you put no. Zoom cameras in your in your house and you just get watched. All- no, uh, yes, Katie and I are married. But but no, I mean that that the idea has always been. You see new trends in technology as it relates to media, and you know I think. I don't want to just read about that in a book or in an article and then try to walk into the classroom and say, hey, you guys really need to be on TikTok. Because what's been fascinating to me is I am oftentimes more attuned to what the current or upcoming wave of technology and changes in the industry than the students are. Everybody thinks, oh, students, they, they know technology and and they're in it. It's like no, they're you know esports is a great example. I remember in 2016, I was I was started watching esports. ESPN two had some stuff, and I remember coming in and showing it to my class and being like, guys, this is the future. And they looked at me like I'd grown an extra head. Uh, you know, they're like, why are we watching people playing video games? Like, who? What, they want to they want to broadcast football and basketball and do right. all the traditional sports. Right. We went through this 20 years ago with soccer, where I kept saying, guys, you got to learn soccer. You got to learn how to broadcast right. it, and I finally, in 2022, you know, I've got a cadre of about 15 or 20 people that are really dedicated to soccer. It takes that long from a curve perspective to really get people on board with where things are going. And that's really what I feel like I have to do. I mean, so one of the, one of the things I really uh, appreciated kind of, kind of looping back a little bit is you talked about um, this interdisciplinarity and kind of this broad approach to thinking about communication. Um, and, and I, what that makes me think about is again in part of your teaching philosophy, you talked about this connectivism, and I'm I'm thinking about how this creates a lot of pathways for students to connect to uh, what you're teaching. And I wonder um, how what are what are maybe some examples of how you leverage that to to create that connection? Well, a lot of it is first of all getting people to the point where they understand that their idols, the people that they are trying to emulate as they go into whatever their chosen career path is within sports media are already doing all of these things. Uh, you know, we've, we've, so I can, I can take someone who's in the industry right now. And I, and honestly, I use a lot of our alums, students that I've had in the last 12 or 13 years. So a great example of this is a, a former student of mine, Courtney Cronin. She was one of my first two or three students. She was here Primarily as a broadcaster, she did a bunch of student television at IUS TV, and that was really her her whole focus. She has this series of internships and then jobs where her focus is elsewhere. She's a PR intern at the NCAA as a postgraduate, and then she gets hired as a primarily a writer with some video capabilities in Mississippi covering high school sports. And now she's a multimedia expert and is on ESPN, you know, not just mm-hmm. covering the Chicago Bears, which is her primary role, but she's on Around the Horn all the time. She's mm-hmm. on, you know, she's she's been on a couple of other shows like that, like First Take. And it's, you know, I can look at that and actually she's coming back to campus here relatively soon and I have her talk to students directly. And it's like, look, she had to learn all of that on the fly. You have the capacity here to be able to learn all of those things simultaneously. And so, you know, we're blessed because we have a lot of student media outlets on campus. So like last night, Indiana played Northwestern in soccer. We had probably 12 or 13 students out there on credentials and they were, 
They were writing tweets during the game, updating people what was going on. They were taking video and photographs. They were writing, some of them were writing game stories. I was actually reading the tweets that yes. students were writing last night. Okay, that's cool. Yeah, and so we really, you know, the whole model is, yes, we teach in the classroom, you know, so like we have a sports casting class. We actually have two sports casting classes that focus on different areas. We have a social media and sports class, uh, sports writing courses, so on and so forth. But what we really want to do is get them out in the field in a learning laboratory environment. And they realize very quickly, at least the ones that are going to make it do, that they can't just go and you know, wait for their, their close up, so to speak. You know, they're not just waiting there to go on camera at the end of the game. Right. There's this whole right. roster of things that they have to do. And it, you know, the ones that are really interested in the career path will work with juniors and seniors who have been doing it for a couple of years. We'll talk with yeah. alums and get ideas and we'll try to emulate the people that they right. follow in the industry. And so that's really how we do it. It's a patterning process that's based upon this idea that ultimately whatever your primary job is, you've got a bunch of secondary jobs that go along with it. And, and it sounds like so much of this is actually not happening in the classroom. Right. It sounds like there's a ton of wraparound activity. Um, so how do you make that part of your part of your program? I mean, and, and student, how do students say, oh yeah, I'm willing to like spend time outside of my classes to, to, to become the person who's going to be hired by whoever. <laughs> it's it's pretty wild. And and when I talk to people in higher ed about what their programs are like, they're desperately, many of them, not all, but most of them are like, you know, how do I get my students to do homework in class, let alone give all right. of this extra time? And, and look, I, I'm just very honest with students during the, because I talk with a lot of parents and students during the high school recruiting process, even before they get here. And you know, I'm, I think I'm fortunate because a lot of students in the high school level of this realize that there's more to it than just showing up and getting a degree. There's, there's a lot of work involved. And among the students that are really serious about it, they realize that they have to not just go to a place that has opportunities, they have to actively take advantage of the opportunities. And so I tell them, you know, straight up, it's like, this is not the type of pathway whether you're and again it's like writing broadcasting social media whatever this is not the type of pathway for someone who doesn't want to do a lot of work outside of the classroom and uh, they they buy it they really do the, the 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 so i'll get anywhere between five to ten freshmen who come in just chopping at the bit and you know they're applying to the indiana daily student before yeah. they start classes i mean some of them will start a you know writing a beat two weeks before classes start and you know, we just continually reinforce to them that the more opportunities they get outside of the classroom, the more they're able to work on their craft, and that is going to make them better. It's essentially this process of, of um, you know, learning by doing, and that accrual process, those repetitions become what rounds off the rough edges of what you're doing. And, and, and again, I go back to my own experiences as a student. I did probably more... We, I mean, we didn't have a television station at IU back when I was a student, uh, you know, but I, I did a lot of radio and I did probably more radio than anybody else in the four years that I was here. And I still wasn't very good at the end of the four years. It took another year of, of working in minor league baseball to really feel like I knew what I was doing. Students now are coming in with as much experience in some cases as I had mm -hmm. in college. 
Uh, you know, one of the, the current play-by-play broadcaster for IU women's basketball and baseball is a guy named Austin Render. He was a student in my program. Uh, he was a high school student in Fort Wayne, and he had done, by the time he got to IU, like 170 play-by-play broadcasts. And so I get students like that, and, and I don't have to sell them on the need to do work outside of the classroom. It's the students that come in and just have a, a, a burning desire to be in the industry but have had no exposure to it. That's where it's a little bit more tricky. But there, you know, I try to mentor them. I try to set them, set them up with students in the program who can help to mentor them. And again, if, they, if their personality and their, their desire to be in the field is there, they're going to pick up pretty quickly what the work ethic is and what the sorts of things are they need to do. I want to shift gears here for a second because you've talked so much about the student interaction, which I think is is awesome. Um, and a lot of it is outside of the classroom. And that kind of leads me to something that was really, really critical in your dossier it, for FACET, but just I know in, in your mission in general, which is demonstrating teaching excellence outside of even just student work. So whether that's peer mentoring or program development. And, and so this that's been a shift I think in facet, Michael, you can attest to this as well. But but the shift in Bloomington, at least, as a whole, has been how can we show that that there are excellent teachers out there who are doing things outside of not just the classroom, but outside of just student centric work. So can you talk a little bit about sort of that that focus of teaching excellence that extends maybe to the peer mentoring or to the program development outside of just students? Yeah, not that they're not important. Well, and look, I think. I've always looked at it like this, uh, and again, I'll go back to my own student experiences. When I was here, it wasn't just about going to class or even getting repetitions. It was about finding opportunities and knowing what to do. Um, you know, as a, there was nobody like that who I could talk to as a student. There was no faculty member on campus who seemed to care about the direction of what a student in my position was trying to do. When I came back to IU in 2009, I said, I really want to be that person for at least, very least sports broadcasting. I hadn't really conceived of the whole sports media program yet at that point. Um, And I think because what I do is very professionally oriented, I had a realization early on that it wasn't going to be something that I could do alone. I had to be, in some cases, a mentor, in some cases, a teacher, but in many cases, a conduit, a connector. And, and there had to be a constellation of people in and around the program and the students who, the, who I could send them to and say, look, I may not be the best person to talk about regarding this, but this person is. Or, you know, and then sometimes that person's a student that's been through the program for two or three years. Sometimes it's a grad student. More often than not, it's an alum or it's somebody who's in the profession that we've had as a guest speaker. And you, you basically, you know, from my perspective, you're almost building a an offline social network of people. Like a, like a community. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> what Whatever that is, right? Yeah, um, right. <laughs> but, but, you know, the idea is ultimately uh, it's, you know, and, and look, I think it's very different in other disciplines where you, you don't have a clear professional outcome that you're trying to get students to. Uh, you know, so, yeah. so it's t- like in some cases, I don't know how much applicability there is. I know for my area, though, you are training specialized students in a specialized set of fields, and you have to be able. You can't. There's no way that we could do what we do in the sports media program 
by just solely offering class twice a week for 75 minutes. And even going out and having students do things with student media, there's no way that we could just have that be the case. So there has to be all of this stuff that you put around it. And and that really turns my job into not just that of a teacher, but that of a facilitator. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's really, really super, super interesting. Um, I mean, I, I'm, I, I'm immediately thinking of a lot of other fields where there's sort of similar types of preparation that's going on. Um, and, and I just, I love how you're bringing in uh, alums, you're bringing in the senior students to help the, 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 the beginning students. Um, and I think that just creates this whole, like, like I said, I use the word community, but it, you know, it's like, it takes a village. <laughs> yes. It's that kind of a thing. So you, you actually created this program. Is that right? Yeah, it's got an interesting origin. I mean, there had been a sport communication program that had found been founded in the early 1990s. And that that program I was in, uh, Gwen Ham, who was a former um, dance instructor, lecturer at IU, and who had also been the undergraduate coordinator for that department, had worked with Dr. Larry Fielding, who was one of my mentors, to create this program. But the problem was it was conceived as essentially, well, you'll learn sports in the School of Hyper and you'll learn communication from either the School of Journalism or the Telecommunications Department. And that was basically how it existed for 20 years, 25 years. And I went through that program. We've had some other famous folks uh, who have IU ties that went through the program, but it wasn't really a program in the truest sense. It, it was really this just loose affiliation of courses. Um, so when the media school was formed by Indiana university, you know, this was 2013, 2014, there was a desire to move all the communication related items under one umbrella. So I was still actually a faculty member in what at the time was the school of public health. Okay. The invitation came to move the program and me and anybody else that wanted to come into the media school, I jumped at it because I had always been more of a communications person who did sports than a sports person that did communication and was essentially handed a blank slate and said, create something that would work as an academic credential <laughs> under the Bachelor of Arts in Media. And by the way, we had no other life events happening. Yeah, well, time. yeah, right. Yeah, this was all happening right around when uh, our first child was born. <laughs> like the exact month. And I had actually defended, or I had uh, not defended, I had um, been granted tenure earlier that, summer, that spring. So, you know, it's like <laughs> April of 15, um, and I, was, I had been granted tenure, and then... Our child was born in July, and then I'm starting a program basically that that fall. You're, you weren't you weren't you weren't over your head. Yeah. So so I mean, and, and look, this is one of those things where it's like, uh, congratulations, be careful what you wish for, because yeah. it it sounds great to be able to start a program from scratch, but then you realize you know you have so much work to do in terms of creating not just the structure, but all the individual courses. I mean, there were no permanent yeah. courses on the books in sports media uh, at the time that I took it over. So I had to create all of those, a lot of shuttle diplomacy between departments, trying not to, to piss people off. <laughs> and then and then you kind of launch it and you've got to build all these connections with student media outlets and the athletic mm -hmm. department. And, and so really, you know, from the beginning, so much of what I did with the program, there was a huge service element involved because it wasn't just, Hey, let me walk into the classroom and teach people these things. It's like, I had to, I had to build the building first before I could walk into it and yeah. teach. 
not the media school as a whole, just the sports media program. But you get the idea. Right, yes. right. But that's that's huge. So um, I, I I could riff on that for for a while, but I I, I do want to <laughs> kind of switch gears. And yeah. I'm wondering, um, we've talked a lot about kind of the success stories with your students and kind of the support mechanisms that you have in place. I don't even know if support mechanisms is the right word. It's more like empowerment mechanisms that you have in place. Um, I, but I'm wondering what kind of, what are some of the biggest teaching and learning challenges yeah. that, that, that you've confronted uh, in, in just in, actually in your own experience as an instructor? There's two big ones that I think about all the time. And the first is trying to get students over the confidence hump to create content or manage production in a public manner. Uh, you know, I mean, for a lot of students, and I'd say it's actually somewhat less so because a lot of this has moved to the high school level, but I, I've worked with a lot of students over the years for whom getting up in front of people and talking or getting on a microphone and talking is just absolutely paralyzing. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of my challenges, and this works with writers as well, is how do we get you to a point where you feel confident enough in your technical delivery of what you're doing that you stop worrying about it and just start doing it. And that- I literally had that extreme extreme problem with that when I was an undergrad, yeah. for sure. Well, and I, and I did too. I mean, you know, it's people think I've always been like kind of vivacious and I haven't been. I mean, I, I, and I and it was a weird paradox with me because I, I did like theater and musicals in high school and I was also the PA address announcer, but I was also painfully shy as a yeah. person during that time period. And that ran up into probably my junior year of college. And so I, again, it's one of those things I, I sense intrinsically, but I also know that you've got so many different personality types. Everybody's got a different type of trigger. What is it that gets you over that initial hump? And so a lot of it is trying to build confidence and trying to be as positivist as I can in talking students through putting them again in touch with people that they can relate to who can talk about having gone through the same sorts of things. The, the other element, yeah, the, I mean, the other element that I, I've really found has been fascinating is as I work with students and they get further into their pathways, there's the, there's these, there's a, there's a lot of people, particularly in writing, have this philosophy that there's one right way to do it. Uh, and, and in broadcasting, you'll see like, you know, there's a, there's a particular way to speak. There's a particular way to approach doing X, Y, or Z. And I've tried to go the other direction with this to some degree, because what I tell students is, you know, read or watch video or listen to people. And you'll notice everybody's got a different voice. Everybody's got a different approach. I don't want to create a situation where we're just saying there's only one way to do this and this is the ideal that you need to get to now that's tricky because i worry about some students not getting the reservoir of energy and attention that they that they need to develop in order to be really successful but i'd almost rather that be the trade-off where i'm not forcing them into doing something that feels fake i'm instead mm -hmm. just helping them to bolster what they already have and understand that if they do that to a maximal level of energy and ability and they make themselves compelling to listen to to read whatever that's going to have a better impact than trying to turn them into somebody that they're not yeah and that yeah, so also you're really talking about authenticity right and how they've got to learn to have authenticity. i mean and i and i teach writing it's the same thing it's like where is your voice coming through and that is a constant constant 
battle when teaching writing, um, business writing is like, I need to see you in here. It's not just a list of things, <laughs> you know? Right. Yeah. And so, it keeps so your program from thinking in my teaching. Yeah. It keeps your program from churning out one type of cookie cutters. We don't need cookie cutters. Yeah. Right? Yeah. <laughs> well, and, on, and it's tricky. I think now, I mean, uh, the, that model worked for 25 years and it's what mm. the Syracuse's and the Missouri's and, and those sorts of schools have built their reputations on is they do, they turn out someone who the industry feels is ready-made to go work mm. in that role, but the industry's so different now. And, mm. you know, I don't know if a student that graduates is going to go work at a local TV station or go work in an athletic department as a content producer or go work for a gambling company doing podcasting and content. I mean, it's all over the map. Uh, and so a lot of it is not just authenticity, but exposing people to different types of content and different approaches. And that's ultimately how you get people going into different areas. Yeah, yeah we, and you're creating lots of hooks for lots of different types of folks. That's, I think that's awesome. Well, believe it or not, we're almost out of time and I can't believe this conversation went fast. They all do, but this one went very fast. Yeah. Galen, <laughs> as we are, are wrapping up the, the conversation here, which has been fascinating, I, I want to end with maybe, maybe a tough question, hopefully a good one, which is what advice do you have for your fellow faculty members, maybe junior faculty members of any rank um, or any, I guess, line who are looking to be more engaged with that individualized student centric mentality that you would looks like so effortlessly create, but we know it, it's a lot of, a lot of work and a lot of moving parts. So everybody's got their own particular set of circumstances that they deal with as an instructor, as a, as a professor, just like every student has their own individual set of circumstances. I think First is you have to be comfortable with who you are in academia. And, and I know a lot of people struggle with that. I see a lot of people posting about imposter syndrome. And, and I just, I've always looked at it like if I don't have confidence in myself walking into the classroom, students will sense that and it will lessen the impact of what I'm trying to do. I think especially in a professionally focused um, or or performatively focused kind of industry like I have, if I walked in and I wasn't confident in myself, that would be a hard thing for students to process. So that's the, and that's tough, I know, and I, and I don't say that lightly. And as I said, I, I struggled with that early on in my career, but I found that when I finally overcame that and embraced who I was and embraced how I approached things, that made my teaching much better and it made my ability to connect with people much better. The other thing I will say, and this one maybe is controversial, I don't know. Don't automatically assume the worst of your students. It's thank you for saying that. Yeah, I mean, and and you know, the, there we are. We live in a society where we love to pick teams and then denigrate the other team. And when you're a faculty member, and I hear this all the time when talking about undergraduates, it's like, oh, they they're lazy and they they don't they don't want to participate and they don't do this or they don't do that and and da 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 and i've always had the opposite approach with undergrads in particular i love working with undergrads i would yeah, you know I ten, ten times out of 10 yeah, i would rather work with undergrads than grad students which makes me like i i live on like planet neptune in academia <laughs> you know compared yeah. to most of the people that i work with and it's it's not i'm not denigrating grad students to, when i say this i find undergrads to be so much easier to work with if you can put them in an environment where you feel like they are getting something out of the exchange. 
Uh, you know, and, and I think going back to a question you asked earlier, like how do I get people to work outside of the classroom? How do I get them to do all these other things? It's because I'm able to put in front of them a value proposition with what they do, where it's like, look, if you come in and you devote yourself and you are energetic and you are trying, you are going to have a future in this. And it may not be the future that you are planning on when you start, but that's part of the journey is understanding how all of this stuff works and how it can relate to you and, and your ideas on what you want to do may change as you move forward. And so I think to be able to do that, you have to start with the the predicate of undergraduate students are actually a great untapped resource in many cases where they will get really engaged and really excited. I think the problem is that especially at the high school level, and, and a lot of college programs do this too, just kind of treat them as um, like, you know, freight boxcars kind of moving through the station on a yearly basis. And to be able to step outside of that and say, no, these are real people with real dreams and goals. And we have a responsibility as instructors to activate those passions rather than just expect them to automatically bring them to the classroom. That's essentially been the cornerstone of how I've tried to approach things for the last 15 years. Man, I, I, mean, I, I love that. So we're, we're ending, we're ending today by, by saying that students are not cargo. <laughs> I mean, yes, Michael, that's literally what we are. What we're and I appreciate that. I really do. I, I mean, I've always, I always uh, love the energy that, that undergrads are, are, are can bring to the classroom. I mean, the world is like brand new, you know, and they can do anything and it's so exciting. Yeah, Galen, thank you so much for yeah. coming on, not just as a producer, but as our actual guest today. Um, we appreciate everything you do behind the scenes as well for us. And this is a really fun conversation. Yes, I kind of, I'm sad it's over. There's always a chance for part two at some point in the future. But thank you all, I really appreciate being on. Thank you. Thank you.